All right, I'm going with the handheld today. Those of you who like to pray, pray for my throat. My body has been bearing the brunt of um, preparing this word this week, and uh, I was speaking to Lucas, my son, about things that we do for God. And in general, in this world, we are at the front line of the enemy, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light and the kingdom of God. So uh, we are always at that. We're right on the forefront of those two kingdoms in conflict. Uh, our bodies often can also bear the brunt of that. And uh, mine has done that this week. So pray for my throat and my voice. Thus, I've got the hand held in case I need to cough. I'll just pull it away and it hopefully won't be on the recording. <laughs> just little gaps on the recording here and there. All right. How are you all? Now I've got your attention. Did everybody survive the weather yesterday? Yeah? Yeah, good. I'm glad to hear that. Praise God. Because... Yeah, God, it was good. It was um, pretty gnarly, wasn't it? They were crazy times. We had, um, out the front of our house, we had parts of our land that were literally, the, there was so much water, I think either the drain pipe or something broke, but it bulged up about this far off the ground. The dirt, the, the dirt all held together, but if you went and stood on it, it was like, like almost like quicksand as your foot looked like it was going to go right through it. Insane amount of water. Well, we do praise God that everybody here is safe and we pray for those that have had damage and that um, need physical healing, that that would occur for them. As Trent said, Kirk has gone out west today. Hopefully he didn't have to go canoeing to get out west uh, to go and bless the, the our brothers and sisters at the vineyard over there as the new pastors are commissioned and as Graham and Cecily uh, move on. So, And I think David's gone as well, is that correct, Carol? Yeah, David's gone uh, down there with him, having had a lot of relationship with Graham over the years. So we just bless them today, Lord, and ask that all that you have for them would be uh, fulfilled both for Kirk David and for that church. As they start a new journey this morning, may it just be uh, filled with miracles, filled with your kingdom activity, and uh, may they uh, see immense growth in you in, and in numbers and seeing salvations come to that church. Thanks, Lord. Well, um, last week, if you weren't here, Kirk um, presented to us a, uh, our vision for 2015. Just prior to that, though, what we had been doing was moving uh, through a series out of the book of Deuteronomy called Taking Possession of Your Inheritance. Do you remember that? you guys remember that and how we looked at different, different aspects of taking uh, possession of your inheritance, keeping things on your heart and on your, before your eyes, blessing the children? Is that all ringing, starting to ring bells with what was going on? Then Kirk moved into last week talking about the vision for 2015. I would strongly encourage anybody who was not here last week to jump onto iTunes or to SoundCloud and to download that. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Download it and have a listen to it. If you need help with it, ask one of your friends how to do it. For me, it's usually ask one of the kids how to do it with technology now. I'm starting to be surpassed by my children in that area. Um, ask them and I'm sure they'll be able to help you. But I encourage you to do it because we are a body. We are called by Jesus, specifically within the vineyard, to be a people of the presence. And in the midst of what you will hear Kirk speak about last week, is going to be very, very key for us throughout 2015. And the reason I encourage you to do it is as you go through things in life, have a look at what was spoken at the start of this year. Does it tie in with what God has been speaking to us as a church that he's going to do? And it may alleviate 
a lot of the angst that go on in circumstances of God, what are you doing? As you see um, through the vision, all the plans of God coming to fruition. So I would really encourage you to do that. Today we're going to attempt to link that, that first set of series of taking your possession to the vision and then moving forward. So we're going to revisit the vision today. It is, Trent is right, it is one of my passions. I, I, I love this stuff. I know it doesn't float everybody's boat, but for me, um, I'm in my workplace, uh, my job involves a lot of this kind of stuff, and, and I, I, I just love, in particular in the church, hearing from God and what he wants to do, where he says we're going, and, and really holding on to that and pressing into that and praying those things in and really being diligent, but we'll get on to that in just a little moment. So what we're going to do this morning, we're going to take a little snippet of the book of Joshua. We're going to have a little look at some of the things that happened to Israel and to Joshua in the first six chapters. Don't freak out, we're not going to read six chapters of Joshua, it's all right, it's all good. Hey Neil, I've lost my presenter, that would be my son who's run away on me. (laughs) It's up there. Oh cool. So as we begin this morning, if you are wondering uh, what our vision was, There's the caption, simple as that, one love on display. And the key uh, scripture that Kirk talked about last week is Philippians 2. So hold that passage and that statement in front of you throughout this year. Read over Philippians 2 periodically, not not just now. Keep reading over it throughout the year and see all the things that God is doing in there. And then what Kirk moved into was three pegs. Last year we had three pegs. Do people remember? Let's have a, a crack quiz. Corey, I know you're so big on this, you'd know one of them. <laughs> Do you guys remember the three three pegs or pillars we were looking at last year? Sorry? Purpose was was one? One that begins with I? Identity? <laughs> Corey's laughing. What was the last one, Neil? Family. There they are. There's the three pegs. Well done. You passed. Excellent job. These are the three that we are going to hold before us this, throughout this year. United, authorized, and enlarging the territory. We're going to continually be doing that, and particularly through Philippians 2. But today, we're going to have a look at, at Joshua and a few things that go on with Israel throughout that scripture. So what I want to do this morning, I'm going to jump straight in there. I'm not so much today going to look at the third one. I didn't feel like the Lord said to speak on that, so I'm just going to obey him. I'm not going to speak on that uh, today. Uh, the first two, though, we're going to have a look at a little bit of a practical example through the Bible of these first two things that go on. So if you have your Bible, you can turn to Pretty much all I'm going to read is up there, but I still would encourage you to open your Bible and be reading that for yourself. So the first passage we're going to read is from Joshua 3, 14 to 17. Now, keeping in mind all these passages that we read now are around the theme of being united. United with God, for us united with Christ, and united with each other. Joshua 3, 14 to 17. So when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest. Yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarathan, while the water flowing down to the Sea of, of Arabah 
that is the Dead Sea, was completely cut off. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. The priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground, while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completely crossed on dry ground. If you want to flip over, you can, to Joshua 5, 10 to 12. Can you get up there, Neil? It should be just the next slide. Cool. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, while camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. The day after Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. The manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. And just one more, Joshua 6, verses 6 and 7, which is there. So Joshua, son of Nun, called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and have the seven priests carry trumpets in front of it. And he ordered the army, Advance, march around the city with an armed guard going ahead of the Ark of the Lord. All of these passages that I've just read talk... Um, in, and although it, it's very much in story form, the significance of a lot of these things that are going on hold a great deal of um, um, identity for Israel in who they are, in particular as we look at the, them celebrating Passover, um, celebrating the Passover meal. For those that don't know, the Passover meal was one that was celebrated the night before God um, freed all of Israel where they took a lamb, slaughtered it, put all the blood of the lamb, Sorry that I make that sound so nonchalant, um, but put a, the blood of the lamb around their doorposts. And when the spirit of death came across Egypt and took all the firstborn uh, livestock, humans didn't matter, they were passed over. The Israelites were saved and they were passed over. The next part of that significance is then the, the crossing of, we read the crossing of the Jordan, which holds significant um, um, correlation to when Israel went through the, the, which sea? The Red Sea. They crossed through the Red Sea when Moses put the staff in the sea, waters parted, holding very close significance. What you see in all of these passages though, I don't know if you catch it or not, when you read the Exodus account, there is a whole lot of grumbling going on in the midst of what is going on in the Exodus story. There's grumbling at Moses. There's flat-out rebellion when they go and make a golden calf and the Israelites begin worshipping a golden calf. Um, we'll talk about this one in a little bit uh, later. The spies bringing back, remember the spies are told to go out and look into Canaan, look into the promised land and see what you see. And uh, they come back and the, the report is that, yep, the land's flowing with milk and honey, but ten say, no, no go. Two say, yes, we can take it. Then there's a complaining about the food and the water, etc. all those kinds of things are going on. But when you read the book of Joshua, it has a very different feel to it. You don't hear any of those ins and outs about any kind of grumbling going on. It is very much that the people are united. They want to enter into the promised land of God. They want relationship with God. They are united by one thing, and in particular, the presence of God as represented by the Ark of the Covenant. Okay, When they cross through the Jordan, all of Israel, the 
priests took the covenant straight into the Jordan, dries up. All of Israel passed through, literally passing the presence of God. So the way they knew that they were receiving their inheritance was only through the presence of God. It was God that was freeing them and bringing them into the promised land. All of them passed by the Ark of the Covenant. feel sorry for the priests. That must have been a long day, having that many people walk past them while holding on to the Ark of the Covenant. That thing wouldn't have been light with the amount of gold it would have had laden on it. They are also determined. That word is going to be very, very key for us throughout this year, I believe. They were determined to achieve one thing, to move into their inheritance as free people chosen by God as his preview community. That was what he wanted them to be, his children, the preview community of what it looked like to live in relationship with God. Are we? We're, we're pretty similar, aren't we? We're united. As Kirk said last week, we're united with Jesus and we're united with one another. Having the same love, that is the thing that, that brings us all together. But our unity is now centered on a person and that is Jesus. And it has to be him. Have you had a look around this building this morning? Have a look at the person sitting next to you. Unfortunately, <laughs> some of you, it's husbands and wives. We're really weird. Like, like not in a kooky weird like not crazy weird but but look at the look at the the people around you look at the building that we meet in we're a really weird bunch of people In the natural, as you look at each and every one of us, the diversity that exists in this room, whether it's culture, age, whatever it might be, socioeconomic background, family backgrounds, whatever it might be, in the natural, it makes no sense that we would meet on a weekly basis, let alone share life together, except for one thing, something that would hold us together so um, thoroughly, so, so passionately, and that is Jesus. That is our love for Jesus. So we have this relationship with, with Jesus. We have, it is vertical, but it is also horizontal. Because of the love of Jesus, we also are united to one another. And in that place when that happens, as Philippians 2 would say, that we're going to focus on, I won't read it now, we shine like stars in the darkness. We know that stars bring light. And they are attractive to the human eye. If we can get out of our, our cities, we can, if you go out, have you, has, many, has everybody actually got out of the city and taken the time to actually look up without lights, of, the city lights affecting the night sky? Have you ever been? You can put your hand up, yeah? If you haven't, really encourage you to go and do that. You'll suddenly feel just a little bit smaller and God will seem a little bit bigger when you do that. Um, pretty amazing time. If you get to actually do that camping out overnight, I'd encourage you even more. That's, that's a mind-blowing experience to do that. But we will shine like stars when that happens, when that one love is on display, as we've been talking about. And um, what it, I'm wanting this to make sense. When stars shine... What's the backdrop that causes them to shine? Darkness. And in Matthew 4, it clearly states, 
the people living in darkness have seen a great light. And obviously that light was Jesus. I think any outside the church, let alone inside the church, would agree that our world is a very dark place. A very, very dark place. And it is so when we act in the opposite spirit to what is happening in the world that we shine like stars. What do I mean by that? Well, let's take, for instance, the Mercy Centre. The Mercy Centre shines because it remembers the poor. Our world doesn't do very well, by and large, with remembering the poor. I think um, I was watching the news the other day and I think sometimes we... We get more upset about what happens to animals than we do at times about what's happening to human beings. I was listening to the news and they put on, they're about to talk about, I think it was that greyhound story and, and they put up a big warning, warning, this is going to offend some people and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, okay. I was in the car. I was hearing it on the radio. And then I thought, hang on a minute. All those pictures we see of ISIS and hostage situations and there's never any warning about those kind of things in the images it might display. Little side note, I think sometimes we get a little more concerned about animals than we do about human beings. But the Mercy Centre shines in the darkness because it remembers the poor. Kingdom coming through healings, seeing miraculous healings, where sickness and death is the thing that reigns in this world, that shines in the darkness. Community through kinship shines when most value and fight for privacy. Our world does. Privacy is held with the highest regard these days. Kinship says, no, come as you are. Come and share life together. Come and share the love of God and come and share love with each other. It shines in the darkness. Breaking addictions and freedom, coming to life shines where many in the world eventually just become institutionalized and managed. That shines in the darkness when freedom comes. Tithing in a world who values uh, money. When we say we, we invest and we give of our tithes and offerings, shines in the darkness when it, the world would say, hold on to it, spend it on yourself, have pleasures. Oh, I love this one, serving. Serving shines in the darkness. I am working public. I'm a public servant as such. And I can tell you most people that are in my role don't look at themselves as a servant. That's not a, 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 it's a title more than it is an actual state of life and how they live life. Serving the church and serving each other shines in the darkness. It shines brightly in the darkness. The list can go on and on, can't it? You and I, and us as a body, we are a preview community. One love on display, and we are called to shine in the darkness. I, I, I can't stress enough the, the importance of being united um, and as determined as what Israel was to see their inheritance come. Each one of the other three pegs that we had listed up there, they are important. But they can only come about when the body of Jesus unites together under the love of God through Jesus Christ. So the vertical, but also has the horizontal, which we know forms the cross. So love for God, love for each other. That will be pivotal. It'll be absolutely pivotal to what God does throughout, through us throughout all of 2015. 
we don't get that one right, the authority and the enlarging the territory, I think they might be in a little bit of trouble if we don't get this first one right. All right, we'll move on. Can I just throw a little um, a little side note? I, I really felt like the Lord said to share this. It kind of just is in between the two points. And you know where Israel crosses over the Jordan River and all that goes on in terms of the, the, the waters part and and um, from there as the waters part, all Israel comes past through the ark and it's very reminiscent and reminding Israel of what had happened previously at the Red Sea as we talked about. Just be on alert to the fact that God can do things differently and will do different things differently as, as we move forward in 2015. The way he did things in the past may not be the way he does things in the future. What do I mean by that? What if Israel had have gone to Joshua? I might be extending a pretty long bow here, but religious spirits often does that when, when we get into that place. But what if they had have gone and said, no, 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 Joshua, that's not how it happens. We're not going to go through the Jordan. We need to go back through the Red Sea. We need to go back to the Red Sea and relive this thing because that's how God did it in the past. So that's what we now need to do again to make sure this is done right and proper because that's how we moved in. So it's going to kind of do that now. Or at very least, they said, no, 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 Joshua, not the Ark of the Covenant. That, that's not the thing to go in and the waters will pass. At least get the rod. You've got to get the rod out. Good luck to whoever did that. That didn't go so well for the Germans in Raiders of the Lost Ark. So I wouldn't be the one going to crack that thing open to actually pull it out. But it would, it's, God does and will do things differently. Why does he do that? Because at the heart of all that he does with us is relationship. It is always about relationship and dependence on him. So he may do some things one way and ask us to do some things one way and then in the next moment as we're called to step out, it's like, no, 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 not like that. Now go and do this. Go and do this. Or the way things have happened in ministry before may be different to what he wants to do now. I'm not. What I, I am trying to say in the midst of that is remain open to whatever God wants to do. Relationship is the key. Relationship is the key with God. Does that make sense? Does that, does that make sense to everybody? I really felt to share that for 2015. The seasons come and seasons go, but God remains the same. And what God desires remains the same, and that is relationship with people. Okay? Cool? Can I get a drink of water? The second thing we're going to look at is um, authorised. Can I ask a favour? Can somebody come and read these passages for me? Is that all right? Come on, be bold. Oh, look at him go. Sorry, I'm just not sure my voice is going to hold out. So, Corey, if you could, you could read these these verses, that'd be great. Yeah. <laughs> all right, take a minute, mate. All right, so first one we're reading from, are they up there? All right, so Joshua 2, chapter 2, um, 8 to 11. I'll say it again, Joshua 2, 8 to 11. We've got them up there, beauty. All right. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up to the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear has fallen upon us 
so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did in Sion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites, east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven, above and on the earth below. And then the next one, Joshua 5, 1. Now when all the Amorite kings west of the Jordan and all the Canaanite kings along the coast heard how the Lord had dried up the Jordan before the Israelites until they had crossed over, their hearts melted in fear and they no longer had the courage to face the Israelites. And then Joshua 5, 13 to 15. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked him, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as a commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down on the ground in reverence and asked him, What message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And Joshua did so. And another one here, Joshua 6, 1 to 5. Joshua 6, 1 to 5. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and my army will go up. Everyone, straight in. Thanks, Corey. Appreciate that. Amazing passages, aren't they? Where we see Israel now begin to move into their inheritance and act as authorized people to bring the kingdom of God and to receive their inheritance. But there was a journey for Israel. You see, Israel, we need to remember as we read these stories, they needed to transition from being slaves to now being free. That is a really hard journey. If you've seen any um, stories around the prisoners of war, those that have been in in enslavement as such within um, POW camps, uh, one made famous recently was Louis Zamperini in um, Unbroken was the movie um, and the book. I've read the book, really encourage you to read the book. Um, amazing story of a man who not only is, survives POW camps, but he actually uh, gets saved at his, uh, through a, an absolute miracle, like visions happen. And you read that in the book, you don't see it in the movie. Uh, it was at a Billy Graham crusade and he spends the rest of his life serving Jesus um, with troubled teens. So um, I would really recommend you reading that book and having a look at that. But the journey from being in captivity and being a slave to free is an extremely hard one to break off. And Israel experiences that. 
the journey from being free to then acting with authority becomes an even bigger step. And Israel is called to do this. It is God's desire to have a relationship. Again, we keep saying this, to dwell with her and that they would be his representatives, a preview community on earth. But how does this happen if the children still think and act like slaves? That becomes really hard. It's evidenced in many places in the, in, um, in the, the story of Israel, but the, the one for the purposes of this story, uh, the first time the spies were sent in to scope out the promised land. I don't know if you remember this story. You can find it in Numbers 13. Twelve were sent in and they literally walked from the southern end to the northern end of Israel. They just didn't kind of jump over the fence, pick off some, um, some, some fruit and quickly run back over the border, so to speak. They, they literally walked the entire, if you read through and have a look at a map, they actually went all the way through Israel and scoped out the entire promised land. And they brought back amazing produce. They brought back the, they, they could, they verified the land is flowing with milk and honey as God promised. But despite this, only two say, we can take it. Let's go and step into our inheritance. The other ten are paralysed with fear because they say basically there's giants in the land. We can't take it. There's giant, we can't defeat these people. Despite all the promises coming true, we can't take it because of the people. They still are operating like slaves. They still have the mindset of a person who is gripped with fear. Gripped with fear. The worst part about what happens with those ten is the ten then go infect entire Israel. They go and spread reports about how hard it is and fear then grips all of Israel and what's the result of all that goes on? Israel has to wander through the desert another 40 years. Now we look at that and we go, that's... It's a punishment, and it is. To a degree, it is. But remember, God's ultimate desire is, you can say it, relationship. Relationship. He did not going to send the children into the promised land when they don't know who they are in him. That is central to all that Israel is, and it's central to all that we are. It is relationship with God. And then God wants us to partner with him to see those, his purposes and plans fulfilled on this earth. God is also looking for a people who will press in to seeing these things happen, i.e. he will sometimes call people to march around a wall seven times over seven days. Now, I'm surprised there's not a lot of grumbling in the midst of that. That would be a bit of an awkward journey, wouldn't it? If you really think about it, Belinda was really encouraging me at this point to play VeggieTales. Do you guys all know VeggieTales? Yeah, she, there's, a, there's a story around the walls of Jericho. And every time I talk about this this week, she's like, VeggieTales, VeggieTales. And then I'm stuck with their silly songs in my head for the rest of the day and week, which I'm really excited about. And I'm seeing little peas chucked purple slushies down off the off the wall which is what they do in the story um but god's plans are deeply intertwined with who he is that is why jesus came that we would know the father and know him 
And John 15 then becomes very key because then we become called friends, that we know what the Father's will and we are called and authorized to have these plans come into fruition throughout the earth. But let's just jump back to Joshua really quickly. This time in this story, it's a little bit different. The two spies go in. And what happens is it's nothing short of amazing. When you read Rahab's response to the two spies, oh my goodness, I, I coach my son's AFL and who else here is involved in sport and playing in teams? Yeah, no one? Playing in teams. Who would like to hear their opposition come up and talk to them and say, by the way, I know you're going to win today. I know you're awesome. Go easy on us, would you? Sign me up for you. I'd like that. Sign me up. It's going to be an easy day. Rahab says this most amazing statement of faith that God is the God of all heaven and under earth. She, and, and she says, not only that does she say that about herself, but she says, by the way, our entire city is gripped with fear because you have come. And the miracles of God have reached our ears. We know what he did when he released you, freed you from Egypt. We know what he did throughout your wanderings in the desert. I'm summarizing here um, what she says. And our entire city is gripped with fear. The enemy of God and God's people knows the battle is lost before it even begins. I'll say it again. The enemy of God and his people knows the battle is lost before it even begins. They, they know the victory is already won because God is God of heaven and under earth. But unlike when they are saved, and here's, here's a key point, for Israel... When they are saved and when we are saved, we are saved out of slavery. I'm assuming most people understand that that are here. We are saved from the bondage of sin. We are just like Israel. We are saved out of slavery. Not so much in the physical sense necessarily. For some that might be the case. But we are saved and we are freed from the bondage of sin and death. Now, in the midst of that and what is going on, God saves. There period. There's no change to that. God is the one that had to save Israel. God is the one that had to call them out. It was God. God saved Israel. God saved you and I, period. Done. There's nothing we can do to earn that or or to contribute towards that except say yes. But from there, and this is what Israel had to go through, we are then called to partner with God and take possession of the land as his children, in his presence as his children. So the saving is great, awesome, needed, but the story for each and every one of us does not end there. We are authorized. Authorized, that means to bring, or you have permission to change what is going on. We are authorized. Because we know Jesus and because we know the Father, as Jesus said in Matthew 28, what did he say? What did he start with in the Great Commission? Do you remember? All authority has been given to 
me, as in him, Jesus, not me, him, has been given to me. Now you go, I'm going to summarize the next part of it. Now, because I've been given that authority by God, you go. You are authorized to go and bring the kingdom and kingdom activity, um, God's plans and purposes for this world. You go and you do those things. People of Jesus, because we are united with Christ, we are freed from sin and death. Friends of Jesus, you have been authorized by him to go and make disciples of all nations. It is our choice of whether or not we will take that inheritance. Israel had to choose to do what God asked them to do to take in possession of their inheritance. It would have seemed, even in ancient times, to be asked to march around the walls of Jericho for six days in a row would have been, would have, and seven on the seventh day. If that's not enough just to march around the walls with the army, to then be asked to yell at a somewhat about 30 foot high wall. How are you feeling about that? If you're Israel, feel a little weird, feel a little strange about those things that are going on. But God is all about relationship. Follow me. Follow me. Do what I ask. Do what I say and you will see God's, my kingdom come. Friends, our enemy, Satan and his demons, he knows the victory is already won. Just like the people of Jericho and Rahab know that he knows the victory is already won. The battle, he has been defeated. So the only question that remains in terms of moving into our inheritance is our choice. It's our choice of whether or not we will choose to step into the authority we have been given or will we still, although freed, hold on to the mentality of a slave. I hate to, I hope that is not bringing guilt. If it's conviction, that's one thing. I don't, I, just, I don't want it to bring guilt. But that's the reality of our circumstances is that we are called to be people of the presence. And when we bring the presence, the purposes and plans of God are going to affect this world. So as we finish up this morning, there's a couple of things I just wanted to pray into and I also have some words of knowledge a question I wanted to ask, and I'm asking myself in the midst of moving into 2015 and the vision that we hold, that we're holding before us. What are the walls that stand in your way of moving into your inheritance? The victory's won. It's done. When Jesus died on the cross and raised, was raised from the dead, our enemy was defeated. Done. Deal. Period. Finished. You are saved. Done. Period. If you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, done. Saved. But now the call to discipleship, to moving into the plans and purposes of God and his inheritance, what are the walls that are in front of us that we're being called to march around and bring down? Does that make sense? As we move into 2015, 
I also felt this morning, as I talked about being united, I felt like the Lord said, there are going to be people here this morning that have been hurt by the church. And when we talk about being united, as you hear those words, and for some people it may have bounced off a little bit because in one sense the walls are there because protecting yourself, you're holding on to some of those those hurts and those wounds, even if it was this church. I think God has some business to do today, that he wants to see you freed of that, that you would join into the purposes and plans he has for 2015, being united with him and being united with each other. They are equally, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. When he was asked what's the greatest command, he could not separate those two things. They go hand in hand as we live this life. So if there is that disconnect there because of what the church has done, even if it's this church, we want to pray through that and work through that with you. So I felt like that was one thing the Lord wanted to do this morning. For those of you that are looking at stepping into your authority and it's something maybe you've never done before or you are tentative about it for certain aspects, come forward this morning and receive some prayer. You, it is there for you if you will step out and take it just as Israel did. If you will choose to be it march around the wall of Jericho, Somebody, I think it was Neil joking, and he said, are we all going to start marching around the church today after you finish speaking? I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is figuratively, if you need to march around whatever those walls are, do it. If you need to step into the freedom um, of, your, of knowing your inheritance and move into that, walk into the Jordan, Red Sea, whatever you want to term it, do that this morning. There is freedom here for you.